0: Hey, this is Joe Bakmotsky and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. I'm really excited for you today because you get to hear our conversation with Lauren and Elise, they are nutritionists who specialize in oncology. And they are going to give great, practical, actionable advice that you can apply right now into what are the right foods to eat during Cancer treatment and they do it in a way where you're not denying yourself anything so you can go through this experience and not feel miserable which is so crucial so i know you're gonna really enjoy and get so much out of it so check it out let's meet Elise and lauren Hey guys, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time. And by the way, I love what you're doing. I think nutrition is such a hugely important and underrated thing during cancer. I really want to understand kind of the link between cancer and nutrition. And I want to start with, I guess, your personal stories. Well, like how did you get into it and how did that connection between nutrition and cancer, how did that come about? Let's start with you, Elise, first.
1: Sure. Um, Look, so for me, Joe, I was somebody who was always very passionate about health and fitness. Growing up, I was involved in a lot of sport from athletics to basketball, swimming, tennis. So from a young age, um, fitness and nutrition was something that I knew that I wanted to pursue long term. I initially decided to do dietetics because um, I thought that I wanted to work with athletes in sports nutrition. And I guess as time went on, I started to develop a real appreciation for the importance of nutrition and the impact that it can have, um, particularly in the context of cancer. So um, for patients, not just during their cancer treatment, but actually into survivorship as well. So reducing their risk of future occurrence. What I also found was that um, these sort of patients, we can have a huge, huge impact on their life. So I gained a lot of fulfillment and a lot of, I guess, self-worth through helping these people through one of the most challenging journeys of their entire life. So it was from them that I realized that, you know, nutritional oncology was something that um, I wanted to specialize in, but also to dedicate you know, my working career to.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, I also feel like you guys are so privileged to also be working with real athletes. No, that's wishful. Thank you on my behalf. So, Lauren, what about you?
2: Well, look, I had a similar sort of experience to Elise in that I always had a real passion for nutrition and health overall. I guess my interest in nutrition and dietetics came more about through the science background. So I really enjoyed chemistry and biology and health sciences at school, but I also really enjoyed psychology. And what I found through studies was that the use of nutrition as a therapy is not just a biological and a chemical therapy. It's very much a psychological and a social therapy as well. So yes, food is nutrients, food is chemistry, but it's also our social life, our environment, our psychology and emotions. And being able to marry those things together in a career to to help support people was kind of a no-brainer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and that makes so much sense because that really puts that whole perspective of treating the whole of person and, and putting that in that kind of larger context.
2: Absolutely. And I think Elise and I get a lot of our job satisfaction and fulfillment and enjoyment not so much from the science of the chemistry and um, nutrition therapy that we're offering, but through empowering people with knowledge and education to make their own health choices and improve their own health.
0: Cool. That's fantastic. So tell me, Lauren, why is nutrition important during cancer treatment?
2: Uh, Joe, massive, massive question, but it is so incredibly vital during cancer treatment. And if we look at any type of cancer therapy, be it chemotherapy, radiotherapy, any biological or immune-based therapies and surgery, there is such strong evidence that nutrition both prior, during and after any of those treatments can significantly improve treatment outcomes and treatment tolerance. So there's really strong link between someone being well-nourished before and during their treatment and their long-term survival outcomes.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So Elise, tell me this, like if someone is about to start treatment, maybe they're going to start uh, chemotherapy or radiation, or maybe they're going to uh, have some sort of surgery. Is there any type of nutritional advice that you can give before they actually get started? If there's, Because typically there's like a window there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what's important to note here, Joe, is that every individual is very different. And as well as every individual being different, every patient's cancer treatment diagnosis um, also has a huge impact on their nutritional status, but also the recommendations that we would be providing. So I guess some general recommendations um, for someone that would be starting treatment or that would be going through surgery is making sure that their muscle mass and their lean body mass is thriving. And the reason for that is that we know that the stronger that someone is, the better their outcomes are going to be during treatment, but also post-treatment as well. So certainly um, we do recommend um, for a lot of These patients going on some sort of high protein diet um, in the lead up to their chemo or radiotherapy um, and also surgery as well, just to ensure that um, we're keeping their bodies really nice and strong so that they can tolerate and cope with the treatment well.
0: That's great. Is that what's called prehab?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah.
2: What's really interesting, Joe, is that the presence of cancerous cells in the body can significantly increase our body's nutritional needs and the metabolic demand. So simply by having a diagnosis, somebody's nutritional requirements can increase by 150%. So they need to eat for one and a half people before they've even started any type of treatment. So that can be a real challenge when firstly, if that information is not delivered to the person who's in that situation, but secondly, if they've got any type of side effects that uh, hinder their ability to eat and drink.
1: So what we do know is that a lot of patients actually present to us with side effects before they've even started treatment. So, um, you know, for a patient, for instance, with tongue cancer might have pain when they swallow um, or may have issues chewing. So, I mean, they haven't even started treatment yet. So you can imagine how difficult um, meeting their nutritional requirements is when they're already presenting with symptoms before we've even thrown chemotherapy or radiotherapy in the mix.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's a real eye opener because I never really thought about it that way. And uh, I know that you guys are so big on providing information that is evidence-based. So can you talk about what that is and, and why that's important? Maybe we'll start with you, Lauren, first.
2: Yeah, certainly. I think a huge pillar to our care as dietitians is that the advice that we provide to any individual is not only tailored to them, their own personal and treatment plans, their own goals. But certainly it needs to be information and knowledge that's been well researched and proven to be effective. What we know is that there is such a wealth of information available to every man and his dog out there. And it's very easy to come across information that may not be suitable for each individual. And so Elise and I as dieticians, are very, very passionate about providing information that's well-researched and backed up strongly by the highest quality evidence. Um,
0: Yeah, exactly, because I know how frustrating it is to see things that you know are not true. I, I remember just going through chemotherapy and I remember being in a bookshop and I'm looking at all of these books, right, that are saying, oh, stop cancer, you know, by eating, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, that's, that's not even true. Yeah, <laughs> you know?
2: oh, Joe, it's so frustrating and so challenging for us, knowing that there's so much misinformation out there, which is, I guess, part of the reason why Elise and I decided to start our own business and try and enter more into the world of, of the broader public so that we can be a bit of a voice of reason and provide that information that's scientifically sound and
1: reliable. Yeah. And I think where a lot of people um, out there go wrong is everybody tries to instill fear in someone. You can't eat that or you'll die. Or if you drink this, you'll get cancer. So everyone wants to make a huge impact because at the end of the day, that big impact, that scare tactic, that's what sells books. That's what gets hits on blogs. That's what gets the likes on social media. So unfortunately, ethically, there's a lot of people out there who are putting that sort of information out into the media and into the public and vulnerable people, people who have cancer are getting hold of that sort of information. And that can be really detrimental, um, not just physically, but also emotionally as well. Because what, I mean, something that we see in practice a lot of is people are scared to eat certain foods and there's a lot of fear and anxiety around eating. And that's particularly because of a lot of that misinformation that's out there in the media.
0: Cool. So let's dig right into that. So tell me about some of the biggest myths and misconceptions that really exist around nutrition, you know, during cancer?
2: Yeah, look, I think probably the the biggest Mm. one that we hear is the concern that sugar feeds cancer. And Joe, I don't know if that's something you ever... Have you heard that, Joe? Yes, I
0: have. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely.
2: And look, this is an area that we get a lot of questions about. And look, the short answer is yes, sugar does feed cancer. But that's also a very irresponsibly short answer, because the long answer is... Yes, sugar feeds cancer, but so does every other nutrient that we eat. And if you take away sugar, cancer is then fueled by protein and by fats. And it doesn't, it's irrelevant whether or not sugar is in the mix. Cancer, unfortunately,
1: it's finds greedy. a way to grow. Yeah, cancer cells are really greedy. Um, So their primary source of energy that they prefer to take will always be carbohydrates. And obviously carbohydrates are broken down into sugars. But as Lauren said, um, once all of those sugar stores have run out, um, it will then start to um, metabolise fat and protein. So, you know, starving your cancer cells or your cells from carbohydrates or sugar is not always the best answer because you'll also be metabolising your muscle and fat stores, which obviously you need to protect you during treatment as well. So a lot of what we find is a lot of people that try and cut out carbs or, you know, reduce any sort of carbohydrate intake, it can actually be detrimental to their long-term outcomes.
0: Well, that's really important to know. Is there anything else do you think that comes to mind in terms of things that people kind of get wrong?
1: Yeah. So another um, common misconception is the alkaline diet. Have you heard of that, Joe, as well?
0: I've heard the name Tony more. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So look, the theory behind the alkaline diet is that um, cancer cells can't exist in an alkaline environment and Similarly to sugar feeds cancer theory, in the short answer to that is yes, they can't survive in an alkaline environment. Um, some of
2: them can, some <laughs> find you it.
1: It's also not necessarily true. true. Um, but where a lot of the re- that research is, is in the lab or in test tubes. So if we put cancer cells in an alkaline environment in a test tube, they don't thrive as well. However, in the human body, that's very much different to a test tube. Now, our body maintains a very tight balance of our pH, so our acid and base balance. And no matter what we eat or drink, that actually doesn't have any impact on our acid and base balance or the alkalinity or acidity of our body.
2: Of our bloodstream or our tissue. What we know is that the food that you eat, if it's an alkaline or an acidic-based food, it will change the pH of our waste. So yes, it will change the pH of our urine, and of our fecal matter, but what's really important is that it doesn't change the pH of our blood system or of our body tissues and organs, and that is so important Mm. because, Joe, if what we ate changed the pH of our blood, we would all be so unsafe. We'd all be hooked up to massive machines in ICUs everywhere. Yeah,
1: filtering out all the (laughs) blood. Yeah,
2: and one really frustrating thing when it comes to diets that are, Proposed to cure or manage cancer is that they're often really restrictive and they often eradicate or recommend people avoid really important food groups. So the alkaline diet in particular, for example, is wonderfully full of plant-based foods, so lots of vegetables, which is great, but it disallows fish It doesn't allow some nuts and seeds uh, and grains, which are really valuable for our body's function overall. So any diet that's proposed to cure or treat or manage cancer certainly raises alarm bells because we know without question from huge bodies of research that unfortunately there's no particular food or eating pattern or diet that has been shown to prevent or cure cancer. And we wish there was.
0: Yeah, yeah. What are you telling me, guys? There's no magic wand? No.
2: And, And if there was, I mean, it would be part of our conventional therapy. It's really challenging when we're then presented with people who have been restricting their diet and spending lots of money or putting lots of energy into changing the way they eat that doesn't have any impact on their cancer outcomes, but more importantly is financially and socially really stressful.
0: Yeah, exactly, because it puts so much pressure on you, pressure that you don't need when you're dealing with treatment because you kind of could be using this willpower to deal with with other things, to deal with uh, your treatment or with other things in your life. So its so I think it's really good to know that there is no kind of one-sided solution like like a diet to just really keep you through it. So, what about supplements or or vitamins? Because I know that that's also I think some of the possible misconceptions out there that perhaps we should be you know eating vitamin C or whatever. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, that is an interesting question, Joe. because um, supplements and vitamins have been, are now a very big part of our culture. So, you know, most of the people, most people that you know will be on some sort of um, supplements. I guess where this school of thought is, is that the more supplements that you take or the more nutrients that you're putting into your body, the better and the more nurturing you're being to your body. Now, this theory isn't always correct. So what we do know with supplements is that if they are taken, particular supplements are taken um, during treatment, so particularly radiotherapy, um, if antioxidant supplements are taken during that time, that can actually interfere and downregulate the effectiveness of the radiotherapy. What antioxidant supplements do now, whilst they're very healthy and good for a normal person, when you're undergoing radiotherapy, what the antioxidants do is they don't only protect your healthy cells, but they protect cancer cells, which we don't want. We actually want the cancer cells to be sensitive to the radiation. And a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people are unaware of the impact that these sort of supplements can be having on their treatment, which is why we always recommend to all our clients to make sure that if they are you know, taking any sort of nutritional supplements, that they're discussing that with us and their, their oncologists as well.
0: Okay, cool. So that's really important to know. And when it comes to just eating well during treatment, what are some of the most important things to keep in mind? I guess some of the rules of thumb, so to speak. I know because every situation is different, but what are some of the important things to keep in mind and to focus on in terms of specific foods or eating patterns when you're dealing with cancer treatment?
2: Yeah, look, as we said, there's a lot to be said about getting a tailored individualized plan because every diagnosis and also every treatment will come with their own special requirements when it comes to nutrition. But as a general rule of thumb, it's very important to try and eat a balanced whole food-based diet. So where you were talking before about nutritional supplements and different vitamins and minerals, first we know that they can often cause more harm than good, but also they shouldn't be required if we're following a really balanced diet. And there's a lot to be said for meeting your nutritional needs through real food. So whole foods as a priority, for many it's really important to ensure that your body's getting enough protein And that's related to the additional requirement that our body has when we're going through different types of cancer treatment. So again, the need for protein is often at about 150% of what it normally would be. So not eating for one, but for eating for one and a half people. And that's really key to help preserve not just your weight during treatment, but more importantly, your muscle mass during treatment because we know maintaining your muscle mass preserves your strength your immune function, your ability to recover after every cycle or every treatment after your surgery. And we know long-term it's really important for your outcomes, survival outcomes, but also for your long-term health and making sure you still have a really strong metabolism that's not going to see you put on weight later on down the track.
0: Well, that's huge. And what are some of the best foods when it comes to protein?
2: Yeah, so some really valuable sources of protein – most often come from animal sources. So meat, chicken, fish, eggs, and anything dairy-based are really powerful sources of protein, in particular because they all tend to have what we call a complete amino acid profile. So they have all of the essential amino acids that we need each day in those foods. There's also some amazing plant-based sources of protein, so things like tofu and tempeh, some grains like quinoa, seeds nuts chia seeds in particular and one of the very few plant-based sources of a protein that's got a complete amino acid profile so it's really valuable particularly if you follow a vegetarian based diet during cancer treatment to chat to a dietitian and make sure that you're getting the right amount and balance of protein across the day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what about uh, the situation when you're going to treatment and it's kind of changing your taste buds, right? Like it's affecting, you know, the way, the way you eat. So what sort of advice do you have on managing that, Elise?
1: Yeah, so taste changes are a really common side effect generally from chemotherapy, um, but can also occur from radiotherapy as well, particularly if you're having that delivered to the head and neck area. Ways to manage um, taste changes, we usually recommend um, the addition of extra herbs and spices to help enhance the flavour. Adding extra sauces as well um, can be a really powerful tool to help, you know, mask taste and add a little bit of additional texture and flavour as well. For some patients who um, experience a metallic taste in their mouth, usually we recommend using you know a cardboard plate or plastic utensils rather than the stainless steel, which can often be of assistance as well. And I don't know, Lauren, is there anything yeah. else? One Was thing it? that can really help is keeping your mouth really fresh and clean
2: mm-hmm. just before a meal. So we often recommend you know cleaning your mouth and brushing your teeth after you've eaten, but when you've got alterations in your taste buds having a really fresh clean mouth before you start eating can help to make sure that whatever taste profile you've got left
1: you still get to sense it so it could be sucking on you know mints or a lemon drop or um even having some some patients have said mineral water can be quite good to help you know break down any you know mucus or secretions so
2: and everyone's a little bit different in this space joe in that some people lose their taste some people taste everything really amplified or others things just taste like cardboard or metal or really strange flavours. And so a lot of it is based on trial and error and figuring out what works
0: best for you? Yeah, and I think it's also important to keep in mind. I'll just kind of throw this in there that it's so important to realize that it's most likely gonna go away. I remember going going through chemo and like all the things that I loved, like coffee, and I just tasted it was just, it was just crap. It was it was just horrific. Like, we we always
2: say what tends to go first is coffee and red wine. And
1: chocolate, I hear as well.
2: All the finer All the things, things in life. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, keep those nice bottles of red yeah. once for once, it will come back, but buy the cheap stuff now. Like, <laughs> <so> <laughs> you're a cheap drunk.
1: <laughs> and look, Joe, there's also some preliminary research on particular amino acids and the impact that they can have. On our taste buds unfortunately at the moment there isn't enough evidence to support the use of these amino acids but um, it's certainly an exciting area and certainly when there is more research that's proven and evidence-based you know we'll be recommending that or or at least talking about it and presenting the evidence
0: so how do you guys keep uh, on top of the stuff because obviously you have your business uh, but all of this new research comes out all the time Mm -hmm. so how do you keep on top of it and how do you know what's what's going on
2: well, Joe,
1: we love it. Yeah, we're passionate about it. <laughs> this is what we're passionate we live and, about. We live so and breathe it. When we find, when one of us um, finds a new journal article or a new paper or even a new fad diet, That's you know just come out on the internet. we usually send it to each other, have a discussion about it. We like to write blogs, do research, and I think it really helps Mm. that we love what we do and that we're passionate about it. Because you know, I know it sounds corny, but that saying, um, "If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life," and it kind of feels like that sometimes. Because you know, I don't mind that sitting there and reading papers. Or um, (laughs) I sound like (laughs) a real nerd. (laughs) And
2: everyone's on the couch watching TV or out for dinner, and we're sitting there reading peer-reviewed journal articles.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is pretty geeky, guys. We're lucky we found each other, that we can, um, we can you get know. excited about the science
2: together. <laughs>
0: yeah, so you can geek out together. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> All right, guys, so well, the next thing I wanted to ask you about is exercise, because I know it's such a huge thing, but exercise and movement, I guess they go hand-in-hand with nutrition. So... What's your perspective around that, especially when it comes to cancer treatment?
2: Well, One thing, I guess, to mention first, and I'll I'll get Elise to speak to this later, is that the World Cancer Research Fund recently has published a new set of guidelines with a really powerful statement that all cancer survivors, so anyone with a cancer diagnosis, past or present, should be referred to a nutrition specialist in oncology. And an exercise specialist in oncology blanket absolutely everyone. So all cancer patients and survivors should have access to dietetic and exercise physiology or
1: physiotherapy care. Which is like I think that just highlights how important nutrition and exercise is throughout the cancer treatment journey. It's just both of them are so so powerful, um, not just physically but emotionally and socially as well.
2: And like you said, they marry together so importantly. I mean, firstly, if you're exercising, you need to nourish your body well, but also the combination of a good nutrition and exercise routine can really set yourself up for better health throughout your treatment as well as longer term minimising risk of any sort of issues in health down the track. Elise and I are really fortunate. We work really, really closely with a brilliant group of not only physiotherapists but exercise physiologists, um, Pilates groups, yoga groups, that work in the space of specialty cancer care, so that we can continue to provide our our nutritional support, but alongside that, exercise prescription, which is really key to the health of these people.
1: Absolutely, and it's so important that you know, as dietitians, we work really closely with these exercise physiologists or physios, because at the end of the day, you know, our goals will complement theirs, and, and vice versa. And at the end of the day, that's what's going to get the best outcome for our patients.
0: Cool. And what are some of the best activities that you would recommend for people during treatment? Is, is it yoga? Is it going for a walk? What are some of the things that you think are most helpful? So
1: look, we're not exercise physiologists, so it's we probably shouldn't be recommending um, particular exercises, but certainly it's really important you know to keep active so it usually should be what feels comfortable for the patient so if that patient thinks that they are able to go and see the physio or go and complete their exercise physiology session by all means. But sometimes when they're feeling too unwell, too fatigued, it's important to listen to listen to your body and to take that time to rest and recover. So maybe just a brisk walk would be appropriate, you know, for those days straight after your chemo when you're feeling a bit crap.
2: And there might also be days, Joe, where you only make it to your letterbox and then you walk back home. And that's okay too. The simple act of putting on your runners and making it that far is nurturing your body and giving yourself a chance to get out there in that space. I, pu- I put it to you. What sort of exercise were you able to manage throughout your journey? Uh,
0: I did walk it every night. It was actually recommended to me by oncologists, and I would uh, drag myself out um, like a zombie because I was really just stumble <laughs> along. And But I have to say that it not only did it make me feel better and gave me more energy, even though it wasn't necessarily easy, but it also created a habit that to this day, uh, two years onwards, I still go for a walk every single night. And it makes me feel good, not only in terms of even when I was going through treatment, not only physically that I feel it picks me up, but it also gives you the different headspace from yeah. lying in the bed. And also, you know, even when I was in the hospital, I remember... Getting up from the bed, and I would drag away, you know, my um,
2: your friend, the IV pole.
0: My friend, the IV pole, <laughs> and I would walk around the ward, and it made me feel better. It made me feel like I wasn't just stuck in bed, and I could, you know, talk to people. I could look out the window. It was just made a huge difference. So I would highly recommend that. Like, it just I think is aligned with what you guys. Are talking
2: about. It makes you take on a health role as opposed to a sick role. And that's a really important mindset to get into as well. And look, I think it would be really valuable to, we can certainly put you in touch with some amazing um, people in the space of the exercise and oncology world that would be great to share their knowledge because I know that, you know, there's areas of exercise that can actually uh, sensitise the body to respond better to chemotherapy and different types of cancer treatments. So hugely powerful space. And certainly I think like nutrition, it's underestimated in the oncology world.
0: Fantastic. i I'll, I'll love to take you up on that later. Absolutely. So tell me guys, what happens when eating is difficult? Maybe you're fatigued or maybe on the other hand, you don't have enough appetite. So what do you do that?
1: And they're really, really common symptoms that we see very, very frequently in our practice. Usually the easiest strategy to implement is to have small and frequent meals. So often after chemotherapy or radiotherapy, or even after a really significant surgery, you know, as you can probably, it probably resonates with you, Joe, you know, trying to tackle a really big meal is overwhelming and can also make you feel a little bit sick. Um, So we usually recommend splitting it up into five or six small meals a day so that it's not so overwhelming and so that you can get that little bit extra in, you know, over the day. So often grazing as well is a really powerful strategy sipping on nourishing fluids. So whether that's smoothies, protein shakes, if that's appropriate, fluids like that, that are going to help to, again, give you that little bit of extra energy and protein and as well fortifying your meals. So adding extra oils, you know, nuts and seeds, you know, Mm -hmm. even adding butter, things like that, to, to avocado to help boost the energy in your meals is going to help you firstly, to get in More calories, but particularly if it's important that you get in more protein, you know, adding additional protein sources to those meals as well. Um, And a lot of it too, Joe, is
2: like what you said before about building habits and building routine. And often we do it in a stepwise process, in that if there's just no appetite, no desire to eat, step one is to put something, anything in your mouth every couple of hours. It might be one cracker or one nut. And that's okay. We build upon that base. Uh, And ultimately what we want to try and achieve is small meals often that provide your body with the nutrition you need each day because it's really easy to graze across the day, to graze on foods that don't give you the full nutrition profile that you need. And so that's where building upon that base is really key.
0: So tell me, guys, I'm just about to learn the meaning of a new word. What is grazing? Because I kind of have this feeling of <laughs> me going out into the backyard and starting to chew the grass. <laughs> so
1: we're actually both champion grazers, I would say. <laughs> 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 we practice what we preach. So, look, grazing is just having, you know, um, small snacks or eating just frequently throughout the day. So, you know, that might be while you're sitting on the couch, just having a handful of nuts. A bit
2: of fruit, bit of fruit, here, and fruit there, here and there. As opposed to a sit down breakfast lunch and dinner it's taking some of that structure away from mealtimes and in some ways the opposite of what we would normally recommend is making your eating a little bit less structured a little bit more mindless so that there's less attention and um, pressure put on that mealtime and it's more about grazing gradually and snacking gradually across the day to get enough in rather than relying on those structured mealtimes.
0: I love that because it's mindlessness is so much better than mindfulness. <laughs> it's mindfulness. a lot easier, isn't it? <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: yeah,
0: exactly. Another,
1: another powerful strategy, Joe, is eating in a positive environment. So eating with loved ones. You know, where even when you're going through treatment, if it's going out to a restaurant that you really enjoy. You know, making eating and food more of a celebration rather than a chore. and and even enlisting um, support from family members or friends to prepare meals or put things in the freezer so that if you're not hungry or you don't feel like, you know, getting in the kitchen and cooking, that you you do have food that's available, that's nourishing, and that's tailored and appropriate to your needs.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also, um, in a way, giving yourself permission to eat what you want. I remember being stuck in hospital and and, uh, like the food like was all right, but I think after a while, I just really had enough of it. And I remember that you know, my wife was sitting next to me and I was like, oh, I, I just can't handle any more of this. Yeah. Let's, just, let's just order takeout. And we, and we had someone deliver, I can't remember even what it was. I think it was pizza delivered <laughs> to, to, the to the host, to the world.
2: Oh, you wouldn't <laughs> be the first. Yeah.
0: So yeah, it's, sometimes it just works well, I think, to break it up and just give yourself the permission to do whatever you feel like doing it right now.
2: And what's so hard is that you picture a hospital ward and a hospital bed, someone going through really intense treatment, the environment that they're required to eat in, in bed with a tray, you know, a meal that's been delivered to them, that is just not Ideal right. for someone who doesn't have an appetite. it's not, a, it's, not
1: a, it's not appealing, it's not going to sim- stimulate mm. your senses. certainly, I mean, you know we know through working those sort of environments when that's presented to you, even for a healthy person that's not going through chemotherapy, it's not that appealing to eat. Everybody let alone. wants to
2: eat in their bed? <laughs> I mean breakfast <laughs> in bed maybe <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe on a
1: Sunday <laughs> but that's about <laughs> it.
2: And look we know, Joe, that there's no culture in the world that advocates for solitary eating. So no culture recommends that you should eat alone. And what Elise was speaking to before was bringing that social element back to food and taking the focus away necessarily from the nutrients that you're eating and more around the nourishment of your body from a more holistic sense. So
0: yeah, exactly. That's perfect because I think that brings us to you know another kind of misconception there because I think... A lot of people feel, and I'm speaking certainly about myself at a particular point of my life, that healthy eating, whether that's during treatment or otherwise, is about denying yourself the foods you love. Can you speak to that?
1: And that's exactly what I was talking about before, Joe, how people want to, you know, in order to get to sell books or get hits, they want to instill fear in the reader or in the audience. And that's Fear for a lot of people is a sense of control. So people believe that if they restrict a certain nutrient or avoid a certain food that they're actually nourishing their body or doing the right thing, you know, in order to help their condition, where it's actually very much the opposite. It causes a huge amount of stress, anxiety, and can also fracture relationships as well. So, I mean, I've had lots and lots of clients, um, you know, have had wives in the room with me, you know, when their husband's really sick in tears, just saying, oh, he won't, you know, he's restricting this sort of food or he's not eating that. And the stress that those restrictions puts on relationships, you know, is profound and can have even more of an impact than the treatment is having.
2: And I think what's really key is that we focus on the foods that will do you good and that are positive to your health, as opposed to those that are going to impart any sort of negative health outcome. Yes, it's important to find balance and not to have your entire diet filled with foods that aren't necessarily conducive to good health. But we know that much of our food supply is really good quality food and if we focus on those and the positive impact that's going to have on our health it's a much nicer space to be in
0: yeah exactly so it's all about kind of turning around and having a positive mind frame as you're dealing with treatment
2: yeah for sure and restriction we know is firstly it's very challenging and it doesn't last and what for you know, you've got to ask yourself why you're restricting that food, and and certainly if there's a really strong medical reason or rationale for it, certainly we'll, we'll support you in that. But if it's for you know a superficial meaning or, or some other advice that's been provided without real merit,
1: that's when it can be really you've also really got to think: is it really worth it? You know, if it's putting stress on you emotionally and financially as well as your family is that restriction really worth
0: it? Yeah, cool. That makes so much sense, guys. So if someone wanted to find out more about you, maybe read your blog or work with you individually as well, what would they do?
2: They could absolutely reach out to us, Joe. We'd love to hear from anyone. We'd love to hear from you all. So Elise and I are really fortunate to have two clinic locations in Melbourne, soon to be three. Soon to be three. So at the moment we practice out of clinics in Brighton and in Windsor in Melbourne uh, and soon to be in Caulfield Caulfield. but we also offer phone consultation services through our telehealth program so we're very um, accessible for anyone who's we've got lots of clients both nationally but internationally as well so if there's anyone that we can support through their cancer journey with nutrition advice tailored to them we'd be very happy for them to reach out to us. They can do so either on our website which is www.oncorenutrition.com, uh, Encore cleverly spelt O-N-C-O-R-E. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Pun intended. <laughs> yeah, pun intended. <laughs> um, but certainly um, we're accessible by email. We've also got a range of information available on our website, both in the form of fact sheet tailored to different cancer diagnoses and treatment types, But we also write plenty of blogs and articles um, and have recipes available on our website as well.
1: One thing we, we encourage is if anyone listening has any requests or is unsure of any sort of dietary methods, please send us an email because chances are if you're asking those questions, there's probably heaps of other people out there who also need those questions answered. And Lauren and I would be more than happy to help support you.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate all your advice and your time.
1: Pleasure, Thank you jo. for having us, Jo. We're also really,
2: um, really enthusiastic about building our community and providing that evidence-based, reliable information to everyone who's able to access it. So we'd really encourage anyone who's interested to jump online on the socials to join us. We've got Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, we've got mailing lists, so we'd really welcome anyone who wants to join our community.
0: Yeah, and you guys have a great newsletter, which I, I can attest. I think I received a new one today. <laughs> oh,
2: thank you. <laughs> Do you like our jokes,
0: Joe? Uh, not really, but <laughs> oh on. No, no, no I, don't, I don't. I love your recipes as well. It's all cool. Yeah, I think it's great that, uh, yeah, and you guys are gonna make it fun, and I think that's what it's about. I think it's all about having. Uh, combining i I guess really actionable advice but also having the right attitude and mindset which is so important when you're dealing with cancer
2: absolutely and it's an absolute privilege to have had a conversation with you about just that today (laughs) joe
0: fantastic thank you so much guys
1: thank you so much for having us
0: Hey, this is Joe Bakhmutsky, and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with and you don't want to go it alone. And you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I I know it's really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head plus it's a handy pdf so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget so then there is the outcome map like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that i have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific something that's bothering you right now so maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off, running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you can can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walkthrough through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague, her name is Jill. Her husband had prostate cancer, so uh, so here she has this kind of c- caregiver's perspective and we both like talked about how there are so many times um when you go through cancer when you kind of just feel alone and you 're struggling you 're on this roller coaster of emotions and it 's kind of full-on and it's hard to deal with so there, there's an audio version that comes along with it and there's a link to download the mp3 if that's what you want or you can just listen to it online and you know and just uh, listen along with the pdf So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one-page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates, so you can kind of share what's, what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news or, or on cancer, and you can, don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste, you can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality, and you're good to go. And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the Prostate Cancer Support Kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page so you can walk someone through it like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, and we just talked about, you'll also get an email from me when when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of Simplified Cancer. And listen, I'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how I'm doing here. I mean, are you getting what you're looking for? Was there something in particular that that really made sense to you? Or is there a question that you want to ask? Or maybe there's, there's just something that you you want to get off your chest. Like, please, I need to know just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's joe at simplifycancer.com and send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time.